News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. A new Atlantic railway spine running from Ballina to Rosslare, a train line to Donegal. Uh, where they've been looking for one of them for a long time. And multiple freight connections to ports and higher speed travel between major cities are all going to be included in the Island Strategic Rail Review that's being presented to government in the next couple of weeks. John Gibbons is an environmental journalist and commentator. He's with us now. Good morning, John. Good morning. Um, the, the fantastic idea. Uh, huge fan of the train. Uh, I would like it to be a little bit faster if, if possible, but it, it's a very expensive product to construct. So how likely is it that we're going to see a train to Donegal or a spine from Ballina to Rosslare? Yeah, I suppose if we go back a century or so, um, the entire country was connected. Uh, pretty much every every sub- substantial town uh, and many villages as well were, were all part of our national rail network. And of course, the ghost of our rail network still exists in, in, in the form of what people now today call greenways. Uh, these are the original pathways for the railway. So uh, so the, the spine is there. And the question really is uh, about putting that spine back together again. And the proposal here really focuses mostly on developing a freight network. At the moment, less than 1% of the of the freight in Ireland is moved by train, which is quite incredible. If you go back 30, 40 years ago, uh, CIE was a major uh, mover of freight. Uh, but for because, again, of running down of, of the rail network, a lot of that freight business was lost uh, to to. Uh, I guess, to road haulage. And I suppose part of the the plan here is to get some of that freight back. But I think Mm -hmm. critically as well, as we know, we're looking towards the so-called modal shift in transport. And you can't really say to people, oh, you should take the train or you should take buses if we don't have uh, an integrated system. So this is really a a big step towards joining the dots and and, and having a train system that, that is available for people. Yeah. Now, and, and there are numerous examples of, of great train service in Ireland, but there's awful ones as well. Tipperary to Waterford, they reopened that line. It takes yeah. an hour and a half to get from Tipperary to Waterford. If you were to drive it, it would take you probably, what, 50 minutes? So you have to make sure that what you're putting in is what the consumer wants. I think that's true. And one thing I, I might say as well, even look at probably the best uh, consumer uh, infrastructure that we have, rail infrastructure we have in Ireland, uh, the DART networks in, in, the, in the Dublin area, that was that was put in in 1984. And, and the year put in, uh, the closing time for some reason for the system was set at 11.30pm. Now, here we are 40 years later, Dublin has expanded massively and the DART shuts every night, including weekends at 11.30 p.m. So uh, if there's anybody out there who's got any power about this, they really need to, to sort that out and, and move towards a situation where the, even the infrastructure that we have is being used appropriate to, to a, a major capital city. Mm. Um, I just want to finish up by talking about these tyre extinguisher people. Um, and now, they're a very small group, John, uh, who were going around slashing a number of tyres in, in Dublin. They are now saying they're going to target hybrid and electric vehicles. So people who at least are trying to do the right thing where they can are being targeted by people who say they're doing the wrong thing. They're hardly going to garner a lot of support doing that. Yeah, it's a problematic. If I can just correct one thing, they're not slashing tires, they're deflating them, right? They're, okay. So the idea here is letting the tires down because obviously slashing tires is criminal damage. Deflating tires is a kind of a pain. And I suppose it is, it, it's an issue. Look, 
I, I personally, I wouldn't go around personally deflating other people's tires. I think I understand the motivation behind it. Uh, I certainly understand why uh, so many climate activists are so incredibly frustrated and so uh, and feel the need to, to, to take action. My concern with this type of action is that it's indiscriminate and it targets individuals. I think we need to be focusing on, on institutions, on politics, uh, on, on, on the, if you like, the levers of power. Uh, deflating an individual's tires I don't know. There's something about it. It's a little bit shitty, if you'll pardon my French. Uh, I, I don't like it. Uh, I, and also, as I say, now you, you mentioned about extending it to, to say, uh, electrics. I think the key point they're trying to make here is that SUVs, particularly the larger SUVs, are a really bad idea. And in that, in that regard, they have drawn attention. I think they've effectively drawn attention to that fact. We know, for example, that globally, SUVs are the second largest source of rising emissions worldwide. So all the gains that we've achieved in electrification of cars and so on have been wiped out by the fact that car manufacturers have flooded the market with SUVs. One in two cars sold in Ireland today is an SUV. And not only are they bad for the environment, they're bad for air pollution, they're also increased the risk of death or serious injury to okay, other but if road somebody, users. If, but if somebody has spent a lot of money on an electric mm. or a hybrid SUV yeah. because they need three seats in the back, because they've got three kids or whatever. Um, Is is it fair to target them? I don't think so, no. I think it's misguided. I mean, for example, moving from... internal combustion SUVs to electric SUVs, I think it's a terrible idea. But again, this idea isn't been driven, if you'll pardon the pun, by it isn't been driven by by the consumer. It's been driven by the motor industry. And what we need to do to fix this is to really hammer SUVs with appropriate taxes so that consumers, when they go into a car showroom, realize that actually this this thing, this vanity project, this dangerous, oversized vanity project it, it, is really... It, it, yeah. Is it a vanity project, though? Because if you... And again, I'm, I'm speaking to someone with mm. experience of three small children. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You need something that will take three car seats. It's it's not vanity in that circumstance. So you're targeting some... And, and there are people who drive big cars because yeah. they like big cars, but some people drive them because they need them. Sure. I mean, the number of people in Ireland who have three infants, really, we're talking about infants in baby seats uh, at a given time, I'd say, what what are we looking at? 1% of the population, half of 1%, yet 50% of the cars are SUVs. You see, we can always make the hard case. And there are, for example, people who genuinely need SUVs. If you're, for example, a builder, a plumber, a farmer, for example, and you need it in relation to your trade, they're a fantastic vehicle. But for the rest of us, the so-called Chelsea Tractor Brigade, they're an urban vanity project that are a danger to other road users. And I think probably the value of this type of disruptive protest is that we're having discussions like this and that people listening to us this morning who may not have even thought about the fact that there's downsides to SUVs might uh, just pause for a moment but, and say, you know what, maybe I don't really need but it. Would you, would, you not, would you not argue though that like, and again, it's back down to common safety. If you have got small children, yeah, three baby seats, but then they have to go on to booster seats. You have to keep them in the booster seat until they're a certain size or about 11 years of age. So still you need a lot of space. So I think it's more than 1%, John. And the problem yeah, okay. is every time they Every time they drive this argument forward and take action like deflating tyres, I would argue they're doing their cause harm because what they're doing is they're putting themselves up there as cranks and extremists. I I think that's always the danger. And I think the anti-apartheid movement, for example, back in the 60s, they used violence, they used uh, disruption, and they were criminalized and hated for it. The civil rights movement, Martin Luther King was one of America's most hated men back in the 60s. Uh, The labor unions took to the streets to confront uh, employers, the suffragettes. 
through got themselves locked up in jail. All of these movements, all of these people, all of these groups, I think what what matters really is how will history judge them? Should you know? Should they all have stayed at home? Should they have you know not disrupted the public square in order to make their point? And I think okay. critically here, history will judge that the people who didn't act on the climate emergency are the ones who I believe will be judged very harshly. Okay, John Gibbons, uh, thank you very much for joining us there. John Gibbons, environmental journalist and commentator. Let us know what you think. Oh eight seven fourteen hundred one zero six for WhatsApp five three one zero six for your text. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk.